0: when i talk to people it's it's always really sad when they they talk about they love bitcoin they love the concepts but they keep their keys on exchange because they're just so scared of what will happen if they actually try to take them off and if they do it wrong they're so scared of the tools that they have today
1: we got a chance to learn a little bit more about the internal practices at ftx and how they were storing the keys to you know billions of dollars of cryptocurrency and the answer was they were had keys in plain text that they were sending around to each other on chat apps time and time again in this industry, you know, you think your money is safe with a trusted third party and it's not on chain. When you want to gain privacy, it usually comes down to
0: one basic tool, which is called a coin join. Really all that means it's a, it's kind of a semantic term that really just means a collaborative transaction where you work together with other people who hold Bitcoin. To create a transaction that breaks the links between the past history of your actual coins, the the separate pieces of Bitcoin that you own, and what you do in the future.
2: Introducing the Blockware Marketplace. Start mining Bitcoin today. This has the potential to transform the mining industry, as now anyone can buy a Bitcoin ASIC using on-chain or Lightning, see its historical and live hash rate before purchasing, and be earning Bitcoin mining rewards in minutes. This brings transparency and turnkey mining to a whole other level. Start mining Bitcoin today at marketplace.blockwaresolutions.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. This week I have on Seth and Zach from Foundation. Guys, welcome.
0: Thanks for having us, Joe. It's good to be here.
2: of course glad to have you guys thanks for uh you guys have been a sponsor of our podcast and newsletter for some time now so first of all thank you guys for doing that you guys make you know an awesome hardware wallet um but before we dive into foundation and what you guys are doing i want to learn more about you guys personally i guess we can start with seth you know how did you get into bitcoin how did you get into this space to begin with
0: yeah, so I think I have, at least at the beginning, a, a fairly conventional path. Um, I come from like an IT background, so I've always had kind of technical expertise behind the scenes, but initially just got into Bitcoin because me and some coworkers saw that we could make money on it, kind of treated it as a as a penny stock and, and thought that it would just be a, a cool way to invest some money um, and quickly dove into a lot of other cryptocurrencies, most of which were scams and, and bad ideas. Until I understood that there was actually something deeper to this movement, that there was actually deeper inherent value in Bitcoin beyond just fiat price. Um, and once I realized kind of the the freedom that could come through Bitcoin, I started down the rabbit hole of personal privacy. I, I got involved in the Monero project because I saw how important on-chain privacy was uh, to actually using a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin for freedom. Uh, Monero takes a very similar approach and decentralization to Bitcoin, but takes a very uh, laser-focused approach to on-chain privacy that Bitcoin does not. Um, So I got deeply involved in that project, kind of started doing education and um, content creation around Monero and Bitcoin privacy, as I just kind of stayed connected in the Bitcoin privacy scene specifically. Uh, And... Over the years, I've just kind of grown in that. I jumped in with Foundation in October, 2022. So I've been with the company for about six months uh, as head of content. Again, just really trying to drive education, um, help Bitcoiners to understand the need for things like self-custody, digital sovereignty, privacy, help them have the tools they need to actually jump on that. uh, And then also to help to inform them on like what our tools are, how they work, why we're choosing to build the things we're building um, and, and really where we're going from there.
2: Yeah, I love that. I feel like education is paramount in this industry Is not many people understand anything. <laughs> um, but Zach, I, I wanna get into your background. How did you just get into this space and, and why did you start foundation?
1: For sure, yeah. Um I learned about Bitcoin back in uh, winter of twenty thirteen, uh, just before all the Mt. Gox stuff happened. So I guess I'm approaching my ten year anniversary, which is Kind of wild. I bought uh, twenty bucks off of a friend in the dining hall in college after he told me about it, and that was when Coinbase was offering the free ten dollars. I think so. I, I got my free ten dollars. I gave him some cash. He sent me some uh, Bitcoin. I don't know if I should be talking about that, you know, but I think twenty dollars is below the limit of uh, you know what's what's illegal for a peer to peer exchange. Um, So I originally, similar to Seth, I think, got into it more for the investment potential, right? I didn't really know or care about concepts like privacy or sovereignty. I just thought, you know, this would be a great investment for the long term. And my investment style was always more about uh, making one concentrated multi-year bet as opposed to like putting stuff everywhere. And so I just decided that Bitcoin was going to be it for me, but, um, you know, after years on uh, Bitcoin Reddit and Twitter, and doing small experiments, like I was, I was selling hardware wallets on Open Bazaar, uh, which was a decentralized marketplace a few years ago. So I got really familiar with all the tools out there. Um, I really wanted to work in the space full time, and so the you know I came across this opportunity when I was in business school and joined a local uh, crypto startup here in Boston, uh, where. Mostly, actually ended up uh, making uh, cryptocurrency ASIC miners. Uh, Two of those models are behind me. Um, I was one of the first team members of that company and it was a crazy experience into, you know, the hardware side of the industry. But, um, you know, I and a few of my teammates really wanted to be founders. We really wanted to do something more Bitcoin centric. And we kept talking about the issues with hardware wallets. Um, And that kind of came full circle uh, for me. Like I mentioned, I actually sold all these different devices on open bazaar a while ago. And so, you know, there were so many things that I was fiercely critical of, especially just like the overall design and user experience. I'm a mechanical engineer by training. I've always been been obsessed with uh, product design and having to like squint at these little screens, mash these little buttons. You ever try to like, restore a seed on a ledger you're ready to just like bang your head against the wall and so uh i and um three of my uh teammates uh left and started foundation in march of uh, 2020 um and we announced i think sometime in early summer so it's been uh, about three years since we embarked on this journey and we set off just to make what you know i hoped would become the the best bitcoin hardware wallet with the Fewest trade offs, you know, more focused on the uh, great design and great user experience, and, you know, try to lower the barriers to entry for self custody. Because there's been a lot of debate in the industry around how important UX is. I would say it's extraordinarily important, especially as we welcome new waves of uh, Bitcoiners, especially and even now in, in, in this bull market that hopefully, you know, is starting and so we thought if we can lower the barriers and make self-custody as approachable as possible then hopefully we can get more people you know choosing to self-custody instead of keeping their coins on an exchange and so we um with just the four of us uh we designed and launched a passport and this was the founders uh, edition um which we shipped in uh, mid 2021 to customers and it's been amazing since then. You know, we have a team of 18 full-timers. Um, we have, you know, our new hardware product, which is Passport uh, batch two, but we just call Passport. Uh, we have a bunch of software we're working on, a mobile app called Envoy, other products in the pipeline. So it's, it's been incredible over the last um, three years to, to put this team together and, and work on these, um, what I think are really important problems for the, uh, for the space.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think user experience is very difficult, at least historically, has been when it comes to you know self-custodying your Bitcoin and holding your own private keys. And I definitely think yeah. Passport, the product that you guys have created, is definitely a huge step in the right direction. Um, and I definitely want to go over Passport and some of the software you guys are building. But before that, I, going off the idea of sovereignty and, and education, I guess Seth, why do you think it's important that the audience holds their own Bitcoin private
0: keys. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it really comes down to what do you want to get out of Bitcoin? Because if you want it to just be another stock, another piece of your 401k, something like that, it can be that you can do ETFs. You can do all these different uh, GBTC. You can do these things, but you're really missing the fundamental difference with Bitcoin, why it's different from everything else out on the market why it's different from all of the other financial tools out there on the market. And the the crux of that is Bitcoin enables you to have complete control over your money, to know that there's no government that's in control of the supply. There's no government or entity that can approve of or censor your transactions. There's no one that can prevent you from using it the way that you want to use it or from storing wealth in it the way that you want to store wealth in it. Um, so ultimately, the way that you get the most from Bitcoin is that you actually use Bitcoin, which involves taking on that, that personal responsibility. It, it is a hurdle. There is some some learning curve there, um, but you have to take on that personal responsibility of deciding that you are going to hold your own keys. Uh, and unfortunately, throughout kind of the history of the cryptocurrency space, that's usually been a little scarier than I think it has to be. The the concepts are relatively simple. Uh, The concept is relatively easy to explain that you have these words. These are like a password. You keep them, you keep your wealth on it. But the actual user experience of doing that over the past uh, 13 years now has been overcomplicated. And I think a lot of that has come down to the people who are building on Bitcoin are usually deeply technical and usually have a deep, deep understanding of how Bitcoin works. So when you approach something as an expert in a field, you make a lot of assumptions that other people will not make and that other people won't understand. And I've learned that from from the perspective of an educator when I write a guide for doing something. There's a lot of inherent assumptions that I have to break down and walk through where I can just assume I know this, so I can just jump to the next step, but other people won't. Uh, And I think that's been a lot of the problem in the Bitcoin space is we've assumed that people will find Bitcoin and then suddenly be technical experts. And so our tools are over here for these technical experts when all of these new people get into bitcoin usually get in through wanting to make money but start to understand the personal uh, freedom that can come through bitcoin but there's no good tools for them right there so a lot of what we've been working on is really simplifying that, giving peace of mind rather than a kind of a, a terrifying uh, barrier to entry that often comes with the idea of self-custody. Uh, and when I when I talk to people, it's, it's always really sad when they, they talk about they love Bitcoin, they love the concepts, but they keep their keys on exchange because they're just so scared of what will happen if they actually try to take them off and if they do it wrong. They're so scared of the tools that they have today. Um, and so a lot of it is, is really a, a personal passion to help people to understand that it, it's not that daunting. We do a lot of that from the education perspective, but also in the tools that we build, we're able to give them products that help them, that actually guide them through every step of the process that make it familiar to, to use Bitcoin and to start to use it in a way that actually gives peace of mind. And I think there's a, there's a unique peace of mind that comes with not trusting a custodian uh, and actually holding your own keys, actually having a, a valid and easy to follow backup and recovery plan. Um, and you can't get that peace of mind when you're trusting some random exchange that very possibly could go, go under, could rehypothecate your Bitcoin and loan it out to someone else, et cetera, et cetera.
2: hundred percent love that. I think that's amazing. Um, super, super interesting to, to think about holding their own private keys. I, I agree that a lot of people get into Bitcoin they're like, Oh, number go up is awesome. Uh, but they don't really care about the you know sovereignty aspect but it's also like you got to think about okay if you don't do that Maybe you bought Bitcoin, held it on FTX, and now you have no Bitcoin. Maybe you bought GBTC at a 50% premium, and now it's trading at a 40% discount. So it's like you still, I think, need to take the responsibility of holding your own private keys and being sovereign, and you can more benefit from from number go up technology. And I love how you guys are building the tools that make this easy and understandable for normal people.
1: (laughs) I Um, I also think that there is... Another fear element on the exchange side, which is all these exchange collapses. I mean, FTX is still top of mind for probably most people, but um, every couple of years there's been, you know, exchange collapses since the very beginning. And so when you're trying to think about, you know, self custody and the fears involved with self-custody and for sure. I mean, there's, there's things that can go wrong. There's a, there's a learning curve. Um, and I completely understand, you know, that fear and and I've had that fear before, but when you weigh that against the unknowns within the exchanges, I think it actually creates a pretty clear set of pros and cons. And I actually think self-custody, uh, does come out on top. I mean, even in the last couple of days, we learned, we got a chance to learn a little bit more about the internal practices at FTX and how they were storing the keys to, you know, billions of dollars of cryptocurrency. And the answer was they were, had keys in plain text that they were sending around to each other on chat apps. I mean, it's mind boggling. And obviously you hope that a Coinbase or a Gemini or, you know, more regulated American exchange has better practices, but, you know, no one is immune to hacking, uh, you know, mistakes, um, you know, malicious employees. I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong. So ultimately it's, you know, this is my money. Am I, am I willing to trust someone else with it? Or am I willing to, learn a little bit and figure out what tools allow me to actually store it myself where I feel, you know, comfortable. And so I really do think, you know, we've, we've, we've talked a lot about that in our own content. Um, especially since bringing Seth on and thinking a lot about, you know, how to educate people on this, because unfortunately, um, time and time again in this industry, you know, you think your money is safe with a trusted third party and it's not,
0: I think one Absolutely. more point yeah. to drive it home to that I've, I've really liked seeing from uh, somebody in the Bitcoin space that goes by Catan
1: mm-hmm. is he's,
0: he's done some like interesting comparisons to driving a car where like, you're a teenager, you want sovereignty of movement, so you go through this process, you take classes over multiple weeks, you take a driver's test, sometimes really difficult, sometimes really easy, to, depending on where you are, but you go through this process because you want the ability to go where you want to go. And yet when it comes to money, I think a lot of times people are scared of taking that same personal responsibility, of spending the time sitting down to learn something, of actually understanding the process, how, how driving works, how the, the brake pedal works, how the gas pedal works. You understand the basics. Most people don't understand how an engine works. They don't know how to fix it, that kind of thing. But they do understand the basics of using a car so they can have freedom of movement. And I think if people would apply that same principle to freedom of, of money, of being able to do what they want with their money, spend it how they want, store it how they want, I think a lot of the same principles apply there and, and taking that personal responsibility seems daunting at first just like with driving a car but once you do it it just becomes second nature it's really once you've sent a few bitcoin transactions it becomes very straightforward once you've backed up and recovered your uh, your hardware wallet it becomes very straightforward and becomes second nature just like driving a car does
2: yeah i love that analogy i think it's super accurate because i think holding pr- your own bitcoin private keys is not hard per se, it's just not familiar, right? It's like driving a car is not really hard, but like if you spend 30 hours in driver's ed and you do your practice or whatever, it's like by the time you've done the 30 hours, you should probably figure out how to drive a car. And I think if people spent 30 hours, like I think that's way too much for learning how to use a passport, (laughs) then like you'll be a passport expert. You could probably figure it out in like 30 minutes. And so it's like, it's really easy. It's just not familiar to you. Um, I think that's, a, that your analogy is fantastic. Um, but Zach, I think now that we've kind of hinted at like the passport, can you explain maybe like, how is the passport different from other hardware wallets? Other people might've heard of.
1: Sure. Yeah. There's like there's a few main things that I'll touch on. Uh, one is the, d- the design itself. So it, it looks like a, uh, old school mobile phone. Um, that was intentional. Uh, we wanted it to feel as approachable and intuitive as possible and you shouldn't have to learn how to enter your pin numbers in for example you shouldn't have to try to figure out you know what buttons do i push to navigate you know uh the on, on the display and so on right it should all just be very easy and approachable and you should basically already know how to use passport and so that was a key part of the design Another key thing is that it includes everything that you need and even like a battery built in. So it's what we would call an air gap device, meaning that, uh, to use it, you don't actually need to plug it into anything. You actually can't plug it in to use it. You primarily use a camera and QR codes with your phone. And so this mobile centric aspect of passport is really important, both from a usability and a security perspective, because that means that, uh, you know, most people are already using their phones as their primary computing device. So instead of having to go sit down at your computer, plug in a USB cable, go through that whole process, you just open up an app on your phone. And if you wanna do a transaction, you scan a couple QR codes back and forth between Passport and the mobile app. And we have our own app Envoy, but there's also several other wallets on mobile and even more on desktop that support Passport. And you can also use a micro SD card if you desire. So, I think the idea of this really easy to use form factor and then this mobile centric model combined with what we call an air gap because you're primarily just using a camera and QR codes actually uh, adds a lot of security too because you're not plugging it into anything. Um, You know, especially if you're a beginner or you're new to Bitcoin self custody, um, this prevents you from making mistakes that you might otherwise make. I I think it's probably the most secure a security model, you know, when you're looking at hardware wallets in general. Um, And then we just have a really easy to use, you know, user interface on the device too, extremely familiar. Um, And then I think finally, from a security perspective, we do have a secure element on the device uh, in addition to the main processor. I don't wanna get too technical, but it does provide really good physical security. So if someone was to steal, you know, your passport, and try to break into it, you know, to get your Bitcoin, Um, it would be almost impossible. You'd have to take it to a lab with lab equipment. You'd have to uh, shoot lasers at it and, you know, shave off the tops of chips and that kind of like sci-fi movie, you know, type stuff. Um, And I think it's really important that a hardware wallet not only offers, you know, great design with a great user experience, but also uh, best in class security
2: yeah i mean when i first used the passport i felt like you balanced it and you didn't really balance it i guess so you just you got all the best features about security being air gapped, doing all these secure element doing all these important things but then you also made it extremely usable where you can do it with qr codes you can do it with a micro sd card it's like it's kind of like whatever you're comfortable with, it, with you can do it, and it's really easy to do, and it does it in a very secure way. So I think it's mm-hmm. super, super fantastic device. You mentioned Envoy, uh, your software product, and it's really cool. Why did you guys build that, um, mm-hmm. and can you explain more about that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so originally when we launched Passport Founders Edition um, and shipped that in 2021, we did not have any kind of companion app. Which I think is pretty cool because it forced us to be compatible with as many different Bitcoin software wallets across mobile and desktop that we could. And so even though Passport works really well with our Envoy app today, I mean, you could still use it with any of the popular wallets. And I'm really proud of that because, you know, it kind of goes counter to the traditional walled garden tech ecosystem mindset that we see, you know, time and time again However, we got a lot of feedback from our early users and, um, you know, there were some pain points with using the existing mobile wallets. The first was that there was really no mobile wallet that matched the simplicity of Passport in terms of like the setup and onboarding process. You know, uh, you were often faced with jargon or terminology that maybe as a beginner, you know, made you uncomfortable. Things like native SegWit, and that kind of stuff. Where to us, it's like, yeah, of course we know what that is. But if you're just getting started, you see that, and you're like, "Whoa, there! I I don't see anything about this on on Passport during the setup process. So why is my mobile wallet asking me to you know make these selections?" Um, so that was one of them. The other one was doing uh, just the general getting started process, the setup, the firmware updates, that kind of stuff. You had to go to your computer for. You know, you had to download. The firmware from our website, you had to load it into an SD card through your computer, you had to plug it into the device and so on. So we thought like, let's make a super simple Bitcoin software wallet. Like so simple that it's boring to anyone who's an existing experienced Bitcoiner, but something easy enough where if this is your first experience with Bitcoin self-custody and hardware wallets, like... This is going to give you everything you need we still don't, don't have the ability to enter in a custom transaction fee for example and a lot of our users are annoyed by that but you know we're trying to focus on that very beginner audience for the wallet portion of the envoy app however you can just use your envoy app right now for the setup process with passport for firmware updates and for support resources you know videos and faqs in app and i think that's a really powerful aspect of it where. You know, you can choose to use our mobile app just as like your device companion, or you can also use it as your device companion plus Bitcoin software wallet that's linked to your Passport. And we're actually building out now Envoy as a standalone mobile wallet, which I'm really excited about because we're taking all the simplicity that we've designed that only works with Passport and we're going to be bringing it to you know the wider audience of anyone that just wants to download a Bitcoin mobile wallet and you know get started as soon as possible. So that actually just launched um, a week or so ago in uh, beta to our community. So it's out there, but it's in beta. So uh, we probably won't talk too much about it. We're still doing a lot of refinement. It's going to take us probably another month before that goes uh, to a public launch. But I think we're we're trying to take all our all our learnings from designing Passport and. Spending hundreds, if not thousands, probably thousands of hours on, you know, user interface and user experience conversations and, and design and trying to bring that to the mobile wallet uh, side as well.
2: Foundation is one of my favorite Bitcoin companies. Their product Passport is one of the best Bitcoin hardware wallets on the market. It is air gapped and highly secure. I strongly encourage you to go to FoundationDevices.com and use the code BLOCKWARE and get $10 off your passport. It's a great way to easily and securely store the private keys to your Bitcoin. If you've thrown your hands up trying to run a Lightning node, relax, you're not an idiot. It's not intuitive and manual management means you won't survive. The guys at Encrypted Energy are fans of the pod and have 20 openings in their private beta for readers to trial automated LD operations like rebalancing and channel fee management. Email paul at encryptedenergy.com and mention Blockware Intelligence for personalized onboarding. Yeah, I love it. It's a great app, and I, I really like how you made it to where you can get this passport, highly secure hardware wallet, super easy. And you can be on both sides of the spectrum of being a beginner and just using Envoy and, and, or being like extremely advanced and using some sort of other software wallet that already exists. I think that's awesome. You can grow with the same device basically. So really cool. Um, Seth, I got a question more for you probably. I guess, why do you think privacy is important and why should individual people that may not care about privacy why should they care about privacy
0: yeah i think for me it really comes back to the same reasons that we talked about why it's important to hold your own keys with bitcoin Um, because ultimately for you to gain freedom through tools like bitcoin you need to be able to do what you want to do with it Uh, and, and a big part of freedom is privacy is is the ability to choose what you selectively reveal about yourself to the world Um, And I think privacy often gets kind of a bad rap and can be a daunting concept of only these super shadowy people care about privacy and and only people who are criminals or have something to hide want to deal with privacy at all. Um, But ultimately, really, it's it's a it's the means to an end where the end is freedom Uh, and in a world where corporations and nation states are quickly ramping up their surveillance efforts because they want to be able to see what we're doing. They want to be able to learn who we are, even beyond what we want to share with them. And ultimately, they want to uh, manipulate and control the things that we do by having a holistic picture of who we are in the digital sense. um, We're able to reclaim some digital sovereignty, some digital freedom by taking privacy seriously. So you can kind of look at it in two different lights when we're talking like personal privacy. That can be things like using a browser that actually cares about you, that cares about your data, that gives you the ability to choose who knows what sites you visit, who knows what accounts you have, uh, rather than giving that all over to an entity like Google. Um, That can be something like using a messenger app like Signal that just lets you have the peace of mind that comes with knowing that no one is reading the messages that you're sending back and forth to your friends and family. Um, Or that can branch into the financial privacy side of things where I think when you talk about finances, People understand the need for privacy immediately. No one is going around waving their bank statements and even their immediate family's faces. I wouldn't show one to my brother. My brothers would never show me a, a bank statement of theirs. It's just not something you do. And you have this understanding of privacy when it comes to finances because it's a very intimate thing. It tells so much about who you are where you spend your money, where you get your money from. Uh, so revealing that or being forced to reveal that when a bank is surveilling you or a nation state is surveilling you through a tax system or something like that, that reveals so much intimate detail about who you are and usually without your will or consent at that point. Um, so when it comes to financial privacy, I, I find that it's it's very much a innate desire of everyone But it can be tricky to feel like we can't actually gain financial privacy anymore because of the way that the the financial world the banking system has evolved it's very much evolved into trusted custodians your bank has all your money you use your bank or bank apps to send and receive all your money they know everything about what you do and they sell that data very often to other entities so that they can learn what you do what you love what you don't love so that they can target you with ads or other things Um, And so it feels kind of like a hopeless venture at this point. But one of the beautiful things about Bitcoin is that it does allow us to regain that financial privacy. Um, Sometimes that can be a little tricky and we don't need to get too into the weeds about how Bitcoin privacy works. But ultimately, Bitcoin allows you to at least gain some, some pseudonymity where you can break the links between who you are and what you do in a financial sense and prevent someone who doesn't know your specific transactions from being able to surveil and understand what you do at a financial level. So it really does give us a tool to reclaim our financial privacy, which we all innately want. But I think a lot of people have kind of given up on the, the dream of financial privacy, unfortunately, the digital age.
1: And this is top of mind for us as a company. When we're making products, we've taken off, we've bit off a big challenge which i think is how do we design something that is extremely easy to use and beginner friendly but like can we give them great privacy at the same time and i think unfortunately within bitcoin there's been a huge or i should say specifically within the bitcoin industry there's been a huge trade-off between tools that are well designed and easy to use and tools that preserve your privacy um Exchanges are an obvious example, but even if you start to look at, you know, multi-sig service offerings and stuff like that, um, most software wallets, uh, you're usually having, to, it, you're, and oftentimes you're having to give your name or KYC info. Um, you're having to share your XPUBs, which are your public keys, which allow whoever holds that to see exactly how much Bitcoin you have in that wallet. Or even if you don't have to do any of that, you're usually communicating with someone's servers over clearnet, which means, you know, over the internet, uh, directly without where they can see your IP address. And most people know if if you have someone's IP address, you could pretty much find out who they are, especially if you're a government or, uh, but I mean, you could literally go to a map and type in an IP address and usually figure out like what house, you know, someone's in. And so... When you think about that, like as as you as you use Bitcoin tools today, you're even self custody tools, you're leaking a lot of data about yourself, and you know if that data is correlated to your holdings, it's essentially the same thing as you know knocking on a company's doors and telling everyone in that company, "Hi, I'm Zach. I have this much Bitcoin, right? Um, and then this is how I spend it." And it sounds ridiculous when you say that out loud because you know you would never do that. Um, but unfortunately, it's true. And so you know, what we've done within our Envoy app, for example, is um, we have the ability to connect to the internet over Tor. Um, it's not perfect. The, the network has been unreliable, but it's a, it's a very private way to connect to the internet. And if you do that, um, we, don't, we don't see your IP address. You know, our servers don't know anything about you. Um, alternatively, the app, even though it's very focused on beginners, the app from day one has allowed you to connect your own Bitcoin node, in which case we don't get any information about transactions or anything like that addresses nothing. And so we have this weird, like almost dual mandate, you know, it's like design it to be really beginner friendly and easy to use, but also give people the best possible privacy defaults. And I, I really hope, and I'm excited about, you know. Our, our continuous product growth and being able to bring more and more of this technology that has been inaccessible to the everyday person that the hardcore people are using, you know, bring it to, uh, hopefully, you know, the more, uh, beginner Bitcoin user, or the more mass audience and offer it as a viable alternative to, um, exchanges or, or other, you know, custodial uh, providers.
2: Yeah. I love that. Um, other than, you know, I think those are great. Uh, other than I guess buying the passport, which everyone listening to this should do, and and using the Envoy software wallet, um, how else can Bitcoiners improve their privacy? Maybe yeah, Seth, you- if if you have any ideas.
0: Yeah, probably have one or there. two. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of kind of my focus. Um, so when we look at Bitcoin privacy, the the tricky thing is I, I mentioned that you can gain pseudonymity through Bitcoin, uh, and you can. But unfortunately, pseudonymity, this idea of you having addresses on chain that are uh, your ownership of Bitcoin, that can quickly fall apart. Especially if you use something like a a centralized exchange where you have to give over your personal ID to be able to buy Bitcoin. And then even if you withdraw to your wallet, that exchange has those direct links between who you are and what you do with your Bitcoin, Uh, which is obviously not ideal. That does not give the financial privacy that we want people to have. So most of the tooling within the Bitcoin space is around how you can re- regain your privacy once you've started to hold your own keys. Um, it, it ultimately comes down to one central tool right now, um, where with Lightning being kind of an adjacent tool, it's not really a privacy tool at this moment, but we don't have to dive too deeply into that. But on-chain, when you want to gain privacy, it usually comes down to one basic tool, which is called a coin join. Really all that means, it's a, it's kind of a semantic term that really just means a collaborative transaction where you work together with other people who hold Bitcoin to create a transaction that breaks the links between the past history of your actual coins, the the separate pieces of Bitcoin that you own, and what you do in the future. Uh, So it's called breaking those deterministic links where even an outside observer who perhaps you bought on a a centralized exchange where you gave your ID, you withdrew your funds, but then you use a a good and and well-built Uh, collaborative transaction tool, like Samurai Wallet or Sparrow Wallet are kind of the two um, best ones in the space right now. If you use that tool, even though the exchange knows that you bought this much Bitcoin and you withdrew it, after that point, they can't trace those funds. They can't see what you do with your Bitcoin. So it allows you to kind of reclaim that financial privacy at that point. Um, The process can be a little tricky. This comes down to a lot of what Zach was talking about, where we're trying to hit this middle ground without compromises on providing privacy and doing it in a way that's very approachable. Right now, the tools are they are not very straightforward to use. You have to have a relatively good understanding of what Bitcoin is, about how it works, about why privacy matters, uh, and then using the individual apps themselves, like Samurai Wallet or Sparrow. They're amazing apps, don't get me wrong. Like I absolutely love them. I've used them for years. I will constantly tell people to go and use these apps. But it's not something where if I'm onboarding a new person to Bitcoin, I, I don't feel like I can onboard them directly into like a samurai wallet and directly into privacy tools. It's really a kind of a, a further step down the journey. Um, so that's one of the things where like we're, we're working on some exciting things that we're trying to do it in a way that will make it accessible for everyone. Because that's one of, I think, the, the frustrating things for me as somebody who's been very focused on privacy and, and doing education is that the barrier to entry to privacy on Bitcoin can be very daunting, and it can often be too much for the average user, which means that the technical people gain privacy and the non-technical people don't oftentimes. Uh, and just like Zach said, most of the simplest wallets to use provide you no privacy tools at all on Bitcoin. They just use Bitcoin, the very default methods, there's no privacy gained there. Um, and that's definitely something that I, I want to see change. I think there's a lot of hope for that, um, but right now the tools can be a little tricky that said, uh, Sparrow Wallet in particular, I think, is a, a really, really powerful desktop wallet that allows you to to use these privacy tools. Specifically, it's called Whirlpool, is kind of the, the samurai wallet, Sparrow Wallet implementation of, of CoinJoin, where you're making that collaborative transaction with other, other Bitcoiners. And one of the things that we've worked on with Passport is, like you talked about earlier, Passport can really grow with you. So if you're completely new to Bitcoin, you're just taking your funds off an exchange, you don't have to dive all the way in. But as you grow and learn, as you start to use these new tools, Passport also has very advanced functionality that you can enable. Part of that is that when you use something like Spira Wallet, you can withdraw funds. You can use these collaborative transactions. And there's a special extension in Passport called PostMix, where within Spira Wallet you can essentially set it up to give you that privacy, do those collaborative transactions, and then automatically send that Bitcoin off to your Passport. You don't have to have your Passport on you. You don't have to have it online, anything like that. And so you can gain that privacy while still sending all those funds into secure storage through Passport. Um, So it's definitely something, there's a lot of work to be done. There are good tools available today, but it's definitely also something where where we're really working and thinking hard around how we make privacy on Bitcoin accessible to the masses, because I do not want it to be something that's just stuck behind this tech-savvy barrier. I want it to be something that everyone can actually gain through Bitcoin.
2: Yeah, will we ever see... Uh, something like coin joins or coin joins within Envoy, y- y'all's app. Is that possible? I think
1: it's it's possible.
2: I may have, I may have asked that question a little too soon or something. <laughs> um, but very cool. Um, Seth, I know you've talked about this before. This is kind of a big question. You've talked about Monero. You've been heavily involved with the Monero community before. I guess what are your general thoughts on Monero? Is it is it a shitcoin? Is it is it not? And and what made you? I know you still focus somewhat on Monero, but what made you shift from some more of, you know more towards Bitcoin recently?
0: Yeah, this is a this is a fun one. It's been a, been an interesting journey over the past really year, kind of coming full circle and, and settling in on focusing my time on Bitcoin. Um, I definitely think that Monero is an incredibly powerful tool for, for freedom today. It's something where even though I'm choosing to work on Bitcoin full-time and I, I see that the, the most value for my time can be gained by working on Bitcoin, Monero is a tool that just, it just works. When we talk about on-chain privacy in Bitcoin, it's it's difficult. It's usually locked behind this tech-savvy barrier where people who, who understand deeply can gain it, but the average person can't. Whereas with Monero, a lot of the focus has been on implementing Uh, privacy from the base up. So everything that happens in Monero provides privacy by default. When you make a regular transaction in Monero, you gain very strong on-chain privacy, really better than you could ever gain on-chain in Bitcoin without having to do anything. Use any wallet, you gain that privacy. So I really think it's it's a very valuable tool there. Uh, And we can go into a little bit more, but I think that many Bitcoiners would benefit by having some monero that they could use for spending if a merchant that they that they love accepts monero and accepts bitcoin spending monero privately is much easier um so it's one of those things where i think it's a it's a really valuable tool especially as bitcoin privacy tools get built out and as they they are growing and improving until we get to that point where it's very accessible i think monero is a very valuable tool there but the reasoning why i kind of jumped to bitcoin full-time even though i love monero uh, I think a lot of it really comes down to trying to figure out where as an educator, as a content creator, as a privacy advocate, where can I get really the the most bang for my buck as far as how many people my time helps. Uh, and that's really the, the focus for me. And I realized after really kind of going back and forth between Monero and Bitcoin and keeping a foot in both camps, that most people who come into cryptocurrency who come into Bitcoin wanting to gain financial freedom will come in through Bitcoin, and most will stay in Bitcoin. Um, And if we don't have people working and thinking and educating on privacy within Bitcoin, those people who likely wouldn't find out about Monero will be stuck with using something that may not provide them the financial privacy that they need. So it's one of those situations where I think that, that I can help to push along the progress of privacy on Bitcoin. I can help to educate and inform people on how they can actually gain privacy on Bitcoin, and use it as a tool for freedom in the meantime. Um, The other main reasons are really that I see a lot of uh, hopeful outlook for Bitcoin's privacy. I think there are a lot of ways that we can build powerful privacy tools that are approachable, um, that don't require you to have a deep, deep understanding of Bitcoin. There's a lot of exciting things happening around the Lightning Network that will bring the privacy that was originally promised with Lightning into reality. Uh, and I think those things are probably going probably gonna to happen within the year. Um, so there's a lot of good reasons to expect that Bitcoin's privacy toolkit will be improving drastically. Um, and I, I wanted to be able to, to be a part of that. So long story short, I still love and value Monero as a tool for freedom. And I still think it's something that the most people should be aware of and make the decision for themselves if they want to use it or not in their toolkit. But I think that the most value for me is contributing to to Bitcoin and contributing to the, the more accessible, more approachable side of things through my work at Foundation.
2: Yeah, I love that. I definitely think it's great for developers to be working on, you know, privacy tools within crypto broadly. And if someone at Monero or something creates some sort of breakthrough technology, that's, you know, truly private, I'd love to see that implemented on Bitcoin if the community supported it. Um, so yeah, I think it's interesting that you have your kind of foot in both, both, you know, communities and you can learn a lot about privacy, obviously being in a very privacy focused community and potentially bring the good ones that are maybe like backwards compatible or something into Bitcoin. I think that's awesome. I'm curious if you guys have, have thoughts on this or have you know t- talked about this in the past. I've heard this maybe on Stefan Levera's podcast where, and it may have been a couple of years ago, but there's the idea of cross-input signature ag- aggregation, which I, from my understanding, it was possible to where coin joins could actually be economically incentivized, meaning I guess they would potentially be cheaper than just doing a normal Bitcoin transaction. And if that was the case, then everyone would probably just do a coin join. Is that like moving anywhere on Bitcoin? Is that still theoretically possible? Any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I can kind of jump in there. And if you, if you want to add anything, Zach, feel free to. Um, so yeah, cross input signature aggregation was something that was actually originally part of the taproot soft fork when it was proposed that was going to be a, a part of what would be implemented there. Unfortunately, it was dropped after it was realized that it was a lot more complex than they thought to actually implement uh, in reality. So it wasn't part of the taproot soft fork. It's still something that's being developed. Uh, and I know that Blockstream have been working on that um, in kind of slow form. and something that they're building out in the background as part of kind of their research wing. It's, it's a very exciting technology, because like you said, it would essentially make these collaborative transactions that we call coin joins, it would make them as cheap or cheaper than a regular kind of single signature transaction because of the way that the the batching would work there. So you could do these collaborative transactions. And right now, you have to pay extra fees for those. They're more expensive than regular transactions on chain, and you usually have to make multiple transactions to gain privacy. Whereas with with cross-input signature aggregation, those transactions would be much, much cheaper for you. Um, not drastically cheaper than a, a regular transaction, a little bit cheaper, but a lot cheaper than the, the large transactions that are part of that right now. So not only would it financially incentivize uh, collaborative transactions like joins, but it also would make it something where the actual impact on like block space usage would be much less, which is also just a, it's a broad benefit for scaling Bitcoin and ensuring that more people can gain on chain privacy with Bitcoin, even as more and more people flock to it. So it's definitely something that would be cool to see. I think it's probably multiple years out, if going to happen at all at this point, unfortunately. Um, but it's one of those things where I remain hopeful and keep kind of poking, poking the bear a little bit about it every now and then.
1: There is, um, is PayJoin, which I think is um, has some interesting promise, but is not widely used outside of the Samurai Whirlpool community. There's multiple implementations floating around, but the general, um, we, we actually have it enabled on our BTC pay store if you buy a passport, but you're gonna have a hard time finding a software wallet (laughs) that, that supports it. But like the, the gist of it is that, um, you know, Joe, if I was to go buy something from you, if you were a merchant, right. And you were selling a product for, you know, $10, um, it looks pretty clear on chain right now who's buying and who's selling. Right. So maybe I have a Bitcoin, uh, UTXO that has $20 worth of Bitcoin in it. And, you know, I, I essentially send you $10 and I send the other $10 back to myself as change. And you can kind of see, you know, if you're a blockchain analysis company, uh, i'm paying you something and i'm getting change back and then what i'm paying you is you know you could probably figure out maybe the um the amount that i'm paying you for and maybe how much that costs and so on but uh if you were to send me some money back as well um you can completely destroy that on-chain heuristic you know so maybe i send you uh twenty dollars worth and uh, you send me ten dollars back the item is only ten dollars but all of a sudden both parties are you know sending money each way and it creates more confusion and so I think that was probably a, a sim- simple overview of what the technology is but when you hear people say things like make every spend a coin join you know I think there is some possibility of you know to get great privacy on Bitcoin you don't necessarily need what Monero has you just need to make it, Difficult enough for anyone to figure out, you know, who's sending, who's receiving, what's the amount, and I actually think that it, it's achievable, you know, and it's a matter of um, figuring out what standards to converge around and having wallets adopt it and merchants adopt it and so on. But I definitely see a bright future for um, for Bitcoin privacy, even even if it's just using the tools that we have available to us today.
0: And a lot of it really comes down to people advocating with whatever their favorite wallets are, whatever their favorite Bitcoin software is, advocating for implementing privacy tools. I mean, I think PayJoin is an excellent example of that where it's it's been around for years, but there's been yeah. very, very little uptake in actual usage. There's multiple reasons for that, but a lot of the reason is you can't actually make a PayJoin transaction with almost any wallet. I think Sparrow <laughs> Wallet and yeah. Samurai Wallet are the only ones I know of. Uh, I think maybe Blue Wallet does Ooh. now.
1: Blue Wallet has support for the specific PayJoin implementation, like okay. the final like BTC Pay server. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: so it's it's tricky. And if no one speaks up about wanting financial privacy on Bitcoin, wallet developers and companies that are building these tools often won't prioritize it because there's, there's not a direct incentive. Like, obviously, privacy is a core part of our ethos at Foundation. So like even if there's no financial incentive for us, we are going to do things in a privacy preserving way. Like uh, I am for privacy in, in, in every way possible. So like, we are going to push for that. But oftentimes it's not a top of mind thing for other developers in this space. Understandably, not everybody comes from the perspective of, of having a deep care for personal privacy themselves. So it's not the first thing that they do in building. But when you're using a wallet, if you're a blue wallet user or whatever other kind of software you love in the space, and you want better privacy, a lot of that comes down to just ask for it, talk to the developers, open an issue on GitHub, talk about it on Twitter, whatever kind of your, your sphere of influence is, use that to be able to, to push, to show them, hey, like we want this, we would love to gain privacy through these tools uh, and just kind of start to talk about it more broadly. And when there's social consensus, things happen. That's ultimately how everything happens in Bitcoin really is rough social consensus. So a lot of that is just having those conversations out in the open.
2: Yeah, I love it. I mean, I fully support y'all's mission of using Bitcoin, holding your own private keys, being sovereign and using Bitcoin privately. I think it's an awesome mission. And I think you guys are doing great things for Bitcoin. I think we could probably talk about privacy forever. It's probably a pretty endless rabbit hole. Seth has probably gone super deep down. Um, But I think this is probably a great spot to wrap it up. Where can the audience learn more about you guys? And where can they learn more about Foundation Devices?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, FoundationDevices.com dot com is our website. Uh, from there, you can learn about Passport. You can learn about Envoy. You can, you know, uh, link out to our Twitter, our Telegram community, sign up for our email list, and so on.
0: Yeah, I think the only other things that add to that are uh, we have a podcast called Journey to Sovereignty that we do live on Twitter Spaces every other week. Um, you can also find that on any kind of major podcast platform. We upload all our all our episodes there. Um, Yeah, I think that's the biggest one. The other thing is all of our blogs, we write a lot of educational content around Bitcoin, written about NOSTA recently and lots of fun stuff. So you can find our blog on our website as well or get it via a newsletter too.
2: Awesome. Love it. Yeah, audience, everyone should definitely go check out Foundation and uh, use code code blockware Mm -hmm. as well when you buy one. Um, But guys, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for sponsoring the podcast. This is awesome. I think people are going to love this.